0: Well, this morning at 6 o'clock, John texts me and he says, uh, man, I, I'm really sick and it doesn't look like I'm going to be able to make it. So uh, Sutton's going to step in. And, and just then I, I thought this is going to be a great day. not Not because John's sick. But I just felt like the Holy Spirit was going to move in in a powerful way because we weren't going to be all prepared. And there were going to be some things that were shaken up. And then as I I came into the sanctuary, as the band was preparing this morning, and all of a sudden the projectors don't work, I thought, this is going to be a great day. (laughs) Like, this is going to be a great day of worship because everything is, is not going as planned. And I believe... Um, sometimes when that happens, that's when the Holy Spirit really begins to move in our midst because everything that we've been clinging to, maybe the sense of order and whatnot, it just goes out the window and then we're just led by Him. And I, I believe He is really moving and working in our midst right now. And so I'm glad you guys are here to uh, be a part of that. I'm glad folks are able to watch online and be a part of it as well. Um, I'm glad I get to be here and be a part of it also. Hey, I got a question for you um, this morning. If you wanted to change the world forever, how would you do it? If you wanted to change the world forever, how would you do it? Would it be through a a social media campaign? Would it be through a Super Bowl ad? Would it be through, um, I, I don't know, maybe humanitarian efforts, if you want to change the world forever, how would you do it? See, I, I believe all those things could be helpful. They could be tools in the process. But I believe if you want to change the world forever, it has to be intentional. It has to be relational. And it has to be personal. See, Jesus had a task. And his task was to change the world forever. And and I want us to consider how he went about doing that. And I want us to consider how we might do the very same things. So um, it's interesting. If you haven't done this already, I I want you to do it. You need to get a Bible, all right? And not just any old Bible. I, I would encourage everybody here to get a study Bible, a a Bible that has commentary at the bottom of each page. They are super helpful because it, it explains what's going on because a lot of us aren't biblical scholars, right? We don't understand everything that was going on back in that day and time. And so this commentary really helps to put it in context. Get a study Bible. And then I want you to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four different accounts, of the life of Jesus. And as you're reading it, I want you to have a notebook or a journal there and begin to take notes. What is Jesus saying? What is he doing? Do you see some themes? Do you see some patterns, some methodology? How is it that he set out to change the world forever? Remember, Jesus' public ministry was only three years. Three years. And when you read the story of Jesus' life, um, you know, in different accounts, you, you, you get the part about where he's born, right, and, and how that miraculously came about. You, you get a little bit of a, a taste of what was going on the first couple years of his life. There's, there's one account of, of this, this really odd journey that the family took to Jerusalem in there when he was about 12. But really, the bulk of what we learn about Jesus' life occurred between the ages of 30 and 33, 30 and 33. In those three years, he set out to change the world forever. And so how did he do it? How did he do it? What was his focus? Well, um, one of the things we, we learn is uh, he was attractive, that every, everywhere he went, crowds would follow him. And it wasn't That they were attracted to his appearance, but really to his presence. They weren't attracted to his appearance, they were attracted to his presence. And and they longed to listen to him teach about the kingdom of God. They longed for his touch. And he had a way of touching people. He could touch people and heal them physically from their infirmities. He, He could touch people emotionally and heal them from their insecurities. He could touch people spiritually And heal them from the power and the penalty of their sin. People were drawn to Jesus. Crowds would follow him. And here's one of the things that we see. Um, Time and time again, as Jesus went about his business, crowds would follow him. And yet his focus was not on the crowds. Even in the midst of that, his focus was not on the crowds. He didn't um, set out to have these big um, crusades or, or concerts where he could draw the masses together and he could preach about the kingdom of God. That was not his method. His method was to be intentional, to be relational, to be personal, even in the midst of the crowds. Um, we, we see this when, when Jesus was in a... And a little house in this town called Capernaum, right on the, the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And um, some of you guys know the story. The place was packed. I mean, it was packed inside. It was packed outside. It was, it was so packed that these four guys that wanted to bring their paralyzed friend on a mat to Jesus, they couldn't get in there. And so they wouldn't be stopped. And they climbed onto the roof and they dug a hole big enough through the roof to lower their friend down on a mat to the feet of Jesus. And so in the midst of the crowd, Jesus was intentional. He was relational. He was, he was personal. That his focus was on this one man. And in that moment, it was just he and that man. And he healed him. And he healed him physically. He healed him emotionally. And he healed him spiritually. There, there was another time... Um, Jesus was walking down the street and crowds were, were all around him, kind of like probably this last week in Kansas City, right, when the chiefs are parading down the street and everybody's pushing in, just wanting to get a glimpse, maybe get a, get a touch of one of them. And, and that was often the case when Jesus went through towns or cities. It was like a parade. And in the midst of this parade of people where they were all crowding around him, one woman came and just touched just touched the edge of his garment and he stopped and he took time for him for her she'd been suffering with bleeding for 12 years he healed her physically emotionally and spiritually Another time, he's going through the the streets of Jericho and and this one little guy, his name was Zacchaeus. He was a despised tax collector. He he was longing just to see, just to get a glimpse of Jesus. And so he climbed this sycamore tree as Jesus was parading by. And Jesus stopped in the midst of the crowd and said, Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm going to hang out with you. And he touched him and he healed him physically, emotionally spiritually. Those, those folks' lives were never the same again. He changed their lives forever. See, so in, in the midst of the crowds, he didn't deny the crowds, but he was focused on individuals in the crowds. And, and here's what I want you to hear this morning, that um, even though crowds of people came, that Jesus' primary focus was on 12. He, he poured himself into 12 unlikely men, Those were the ones that he spent most of his time with. And that was his strategy. He he, he poured himself into these 12, and then within the 12, there were three, three that he focused on. Now, um, we find the names of these these 12, Matthew lists them, Mark lists them, and Luke lists them as well. Um, Here they are. Uh, The first one, Simon, who he named Peter later on, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, then there was Matthew and Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, then there was Judas, son of James, and another Judas, Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. These were the twelve. These were the twelve that he poured into. These were the twelve that followed him everywhere. And in Jesus' classroom, as, he, as he's determining to make these men into disciples, into followers of his, who he would later call apostles or sent ones. The classroom that he used didn't have four walls and a whiteboard. No, his classroom was found on hillsides and boat rides. His classroom was found on, on hikes through wheat fields and journeys through parts of, of the land that nobody knew would go to normally, like Lindsay talked about last week. His classroom sometimes was at weddings, at dinner parties, even funerals. His classroom was everywhere he was with his disciples. He used every opportunity to teach them about the kingdom of God. And the power of his presence. Jesus was constantly teaching them that the kingdom of God is where we find our healing and ultimate purpose. That's where our ultimate purpose is realized, it's in the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus' teaching of the 12 involved a lot more than just imparting knowledge to them. What he wanted to do is is to give them this knowledge, this understanding, but he wanted them to put it into action. And we see this time and time with them, again, where uh, he would send them out. Typically, he would send them out in pairs, right? And he would send them out, and they would go to neighboring towns and villages, and they would tell others what they had heard him say and what they had seen him do. And they would do the very same things. They would share with them the things that they had heard, and they would do the very same things that they had seen Jesus do, even miraculous things. Not only that. But then they would come back and they would share their um, encounters. And it was such an encouraging time. Jesus incorporated them into some of the most miraculous things he ever did. Remember, he he fed 5,000 men plus women and children with just five small loaves and a couple little fish. And, And how did he do that? Well, he used the 12 disciples to do it. It was at their hands that the miracle took place. So he incorporated them into his ministry. He equipped them for this ministry. That's how he changed the world forever. He was really so intentional, he was so relational and so personal. But as I mentioned earlier, he had um, uh, within the 12, he had the three. And, And why did he pick these three guys? I have no idea. No idea why he picked these three. They, they were just blue-collar fishermen kind of guys. Um, one of them really impulsive. Uh, we, we read that he, he, he just chopped off some dude's ear, you know, as he came to arrest Jesus. Just, there he goes. And then, then a couple hours later, this same guy denies even knowing Jesus, not once, but three times. Two other guys were brothers. You know how brothers can be. They they're, tend to bicker quite a bit. They tend to be competitive with one another. Well, they were overheard arguing about who was the greatest of all, and, and they were arguing about who was going to get to sit at the esteemed right hand of Jesus when he came into his kingdom. Three unlikely guys, far from perfect, and yet Jesus chose them to go deeper deeper. That was his strategy for changing the world forever. We know these guys as Peter, James, and John. And we get a glimpse into some of the encounters that they had with Jesus. There's one time, and uh, you can read about this in Matthew chapter 17, where he invited those three guys out of the 12 and he said, come on, we're going to go up on this mountain. And as they went up on top of this mountain, they experienced, they saw something that no human had ever seen, in their midst, they saw Jesus completely transformed. He had a glow about him that only God can have. They heard the audible voice of the Father affirming that Jesus was the Son. And then they saw Moses and Elijah appear right there with Jesus on top of this mountain, and they started talking with one another. Those three got to experience that. They also got to experience being in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night that Jesus was ultimately betrayed. And he brought those three there to pray for him as he prepared for his imminent death. Those are a couple glimpses we get to see of Jesus and the three. Now, um, the three men went on to be instrumental in the establishment of Jesus' church church. We see how they embodied this real kind of intentional and relational and personal ministry that, that what they saw Jesus doing, they did as well. And so it was through that strategy that the world was forever changed. And Jesus chose to use average, ordinary men and also we see women to change the world. Forever. And before he, he left the earth, after he had died and then was resurrected, he gave them a great commission. A great commission. And that commission uh, is the same for them as it is for us today. And, and Matthew wrote it down. I'm so thankful for that. In Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, um, this is what Jesus said. It said then, the, putting it in the context, said then the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Remember, Judas had betrayed him, so he's no longer around. He committed suicide because he was so distraught when he came to realize what he had done. And it said that the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. They fell down and they just started worshipping him. But some doubted. Even in the midst of all that, some still doubted. These were his closest followers, and they still had doubts. Verse 18, it said, Then Jesus came. He came to them and, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And surely... Surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. That was Jesus' strategy for changing the world forever. And I believe we should have a similar strategy. And at Orchard Hills, our strategy of 12 and 3 looks like life groups and men's and women's small groups. So um, the way we try to embody This is uh, through life groups. So life groups are typically 12 or 13 people. They're mixed gender, and uh, they come together on a weekly basis, ideally, and they have a meal together or some kind of food. They open their Bibles. They study the the Word of God. They learn that. They they have journals. They write these things down because they're important. Then they uh, pray for each other, and they also serve. They serve um, as a group, but they also serve each other. It's so important for folks to be in a life group because in your greatest time of need, it's those people people who you're close to that are really gonna be there to meet your needs. They're the ones that know that you're in the hospital or you're sick and ailing and bring you a meal. It's those life groups, and so they're so critically important. And then we have small groups of men and women, typically groups of four that gather together, uh, maybe over a breakfast or over coffee or something along those lines. They will open up the Bible and study it together. They will be there to encourage one another and, and even to hold each other accountable because we need that. We each need that. And so that's our primary strategy for making disciples as Jesus made disciples himself. And I've been a part of a life group, and a men's small group for close to 35 years. And, and I have so many things I could share with you of how important that's been in my life, but you guys hear me talk all the time. You, you know, and you've got to be sick of it because I'm kind of sick of listening to myself. So uh, I can only imagine what that's like for you. So what I've got is a special treat. I've got uh, Andy Chocolate's going to come up here right now, and he's going to join me on the stage. And he's going to share with you just how um, small group, and also Life Group has impacted his life and also, really, the life of his family. So, Andy, thank you for uh, answering my call and, and uh, accepting the invitation to share. It means a lot to me, and I think it'll mean a lot... Can you to hear me? Else. There you go. Awesome. That's yeah, the I thought thing you had to do was just figure out how to turn the mic. I know.
1: So, just to add to Scott's um, chaos for this weekend. He, of course he prepares for his sermon on Thursdays and he's a prepared guy. Well, I'm sort of opposite. I'd fly by night, do our wing stuff. So he texts me yesterday. I was like, have you read the questions? Are you ready? Do we need to practice? And I'm like, no, I'll read them later. I'll, <laughs> I'll take a look at it. And he's like, oh boy. So it kind of played into what was going on today.
0: Yeah, because I said, Andy, uh, Earlier in the week, Andy, is there a time Friday that we can get together and practice this thing, or is there a time Saturday and like crickets? (laughs) And so yesterday, I'm getting a little nervous. I'm like, Andy, have you have you at least read it, like, so you have some idea where we're going? He's like, "Uh, no, (laughs) but I'll get back with you. So uh, Andy, share with people a little bit about who you are. Maybe I'd love to hear a little bit. like your spiritual journey, too, from maybe childhood up till whatever point you want to stop. <laughs> well, m- maybe not. I
1: okay. Because I am, I am young, so it might take a while. But um, first of all, I just want to thank my wife of almost 37 years for giving me the courage to come up here. Right before I came up, she was like, I prayed for you. And uh, make sure your zipper's up. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh,
0: Fortunately, got that long shirt.
1: Th- that's, a, that's a story in and of itself. That's supposed to be one
0: of those untucked, but you do it. <laughs> well, want to tuck
1: it. I, I'm a greeter out there like every other week, and I came in one Sunday, and I'm like, gee, my zipper was down the whole time. I wonder why everybody was laughing at me. But no, seriously, um, I grew up and going to church. I grew up um, going to um, the Christian church. It's called Disciples of Christ here in Roanoke. My family was faithful. My dad was a great leader. I had a great person to try to follow. Um, and I did a good job with that, I thought. I was baptized, I think about 13. Um, but it just seemed like something was missing. I didn't know exactly what it was. I think I was going through the motions, checking the boxes. You know, I, I said that I was a Christian, and um, I thought I was, and I hope I am. But when I hear that verse where it says, I don't know you, that was always scary to me because I want him to know me. That's really important. So, um, fast forwarding, I used to be an athlete, believe it or not. A long Hall time- of Famer. Uh, well, I used to be an athlete.
0: Still a Hall of Famer.
1: And I always identified myself as an athlete. And then I met my wife, we became married. We had kids quickly. And now, then all of a sudden, I needed to identify myself as a husband, as a father. And I had to learn that the hard way. And I wish I had been attending Orchard Hills during that time. So some of you young, flat-bellied bucks out there <laughs> who have the opportunity to learn and to apply What's going on here at Orchard Hills, you're blessed. I guess my eyes weren't opened. I I guess I wasn't hearing from the Lord, but it was all about going up the ladder, trying to accomplish this. Uh, I worked at a family business. We were trying to grow it. Sometimes, perhaps, I didn't do the things I should have done, but by the grace that was shown to me from June and my kids, uh, they, they turned out great. They're adults now. Um, we have, what, four grandkids and one on the way, so we're definitely multiplying. Um, so when I got here, I started to, and the reason we came here, let me back up. The reason we came here was because our son Matthew was really involved with Young Life. And I'll never forget sitting there one time at a track meet because I wanted Matthew to be an athlete. I was sitting there with Dave Sloop, and he was like, he needs to do this and that. And I'm like, no, we can't. We have, you know, we have an AAU basketball tournament that weekend. We can't do that. And I felt so convicted later on when I realized I was not leading my family to Christ. I was doing all the worldly things that unfortunately sometimes lead to disaster. So um, we came here about 2007-ish, somewhere in that neighborhood. June came over first. We were attending uh, a Lutheran church at the time. We raised our kids Lutheran. They did all the confirmation and everything, but then as they got older, they started seeking themselves June came here first. I sort of resisted, but once I got here, I immediately made connections, hopefully with Scott, um, who I consider to be one of my best friends now. Um, So it's just it's awesome, the opportunity we have
0: here at Orchard Hills. So So, tell them, like, then how did you start doing a men's small group? All right,
1: well, since I'm old and I can't really remember, um, I think you asked me, I think you were the one that asked me, you know, hey, do you want to, is that right? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Obviously, it's not prepared. So, yeah, Scott's like, hey, do you want to do a small group? And I'm like, yeah, what does that mean? So, he goes, well, get your Bible and show up tomorrow at 6.30 at, I think it was Bojangles. Bojangles, And I'm like, 6.30? It's Thursday. I work tomorrow. He goes, that's how I'd be there. So, I got my Bible. I show up. I don't really know these guys. Obviously, I know Scott, and we're going to be soaping, I think, at the time. So I brought a Bible, and I don't remember what kind of Bible it was, but after that, he's like, hey, you need to get a study Bible. You know, sometimes we refer to it as a cheater Bible because it's got, you know, it it explains a lot of things that you don't really understand after you read it, like, three times. But, um, yeah, so you invited me. I guess that was probably... 12, 13 years. Ago. I don't even remember. It was probably more than that. Okay. All
0: right. Anyhow, you're old. I, I'm old. <laughs> the memory.
1: Yeah. So it was probably about 14 years ago. So, anyway, we've grown and we've had people come in and out of it. And really, that group is now my friends for life group. They're the guys that I can go to to, to pray with, to have them pray for me. Um, it's it's really awesome. I can't even tell you what it would be like. It, we were discussing the other day in small group that somebody mentioned, "Well, I really don't have any friends." And I'm like, I, I can't imagine not having friends. I can't imagine not having my small group.
0: Yeah, that's it's really been important. I think and then how did that lead to you guys, you and June for instance, getting in a life group, right? So well, let me back up.
1: All right. You've got the mic. I think that... <laughs> yeah, I do. So I think that women maybe have a harder time being in small groups than men. Men can, like, duke it out and then say, you're stupid, then go on and go play golf the next day. But women, for whatever reason, I feel like they, they get in this shell and they can't reach out. One of my hopes... And my prayers is that June gets involved in a small group. I know I'm putting her on the spot and calling her out. But to me, it's essential. So going back to life group, we used to call it home group. I think the next natural progression was, hey, you know, I'm going to, um, I'm going to men's small group. Let's, let's try to sign up for one of these life groups. And we've been to two or three. I think we got kicked out of a few of them. But we've been to several And they all have been good, you know. I've learned something every time. I've become closer to other couples. We talk about, you know, obviously we talk about the word, but we also talk about how it applies to our lives and how we can influence each other and pray for each other. So it's really been an awesome thing. I think June and I both, I hope I'm correct, have become closer as a couple in understanding each
0: other's roles as a husband and wife through life group. It's awesome. So what have been maybe maybe one, maybe two things that were significant about the role that either a small group or a life group had played in your life.
1: Wow. So some of you may or may not know my story, but I was I worked at a family company that we had been in business for like 85 years and it was a printing company and we lost the company. Um, we were embezzled, and I was lost. I worked there my whole life after running college. And I didn't know, I, I really, I'm like, I, I identified as a businessman instead of a Christian. But who was there to support me? I mean, obviously, my wife and my family, but it's my small group. It's Scott. It's the guys that I'm closest to because I was lost at that point. But these guys encouraged me. I'm gonna tell you the first house payment after I lost my job and my business, it got paid. We we were like, where did this come from? (laughs) I can't look at Jane, she's crying. But um, it was amazing And, and I know it has to do with the fact that I'm in a group of guys that love me and they love the Lord.
0: So not everybody here is obviously in a men's small group, a women's small group, or a life group. So what parting words of encouragement might you have for them?
1: Well, I think, I'm, you know, it's kind of like sitting there on Sunday, and I'm like, oh, that's cool. That person's sharing their story, and they're getting up there and talking. And then all of a sudden Scott says, hey, I want you to come up talking." talk. And I'm like, "Do what? I'm not going up there and talking. I think it's the same thing. I think it requires time. And commitment there is time we just have to carve it out you cannot imagine how much it changes your life to have friends to go through your good days and your bad days I would encourage you if you're not involved in a small group or life group please consider it I really would thanks Andy all right, thank you. Bless you. Love you, buddy. Love
0: you. Yeah, I, enough said on that. If you, you want to get in a life group, you can go on our website. There's, there's a link to the life groups that are um, currently open and, and looking for more people. You can do that. You can touch base with Sutton. He can help direct you or help, maybe help create a life group, another one, because we need more and more life groups. And for that to happen, we need more and more life group leaders. One of the things that Andy didn't share was how he's taken his experience and now he's leading. Also, he has a small group of guys, some high school guys that he's been um, leading for a number of years now. So that's sort of the goal is that we come and maybe we're a part of a small group or a life group. And then maybe, you know, God... God would encourage us to go and to do the same, to lead those, because that's his formula. That's his strategy for changing the world forever. It's through just ordinary people like you and me and Andy. Um, If you want to be in a a men's group or a a, a ladies' group, uh, Michaela Spees is the one that touch base with um, if you're a woman, and and Matt Clark is the the guy um, if you're a guy. And you can find their information on the screen behind me. Just kidding. <laughs> they don't work. But the, uh, but they're going to be out back uh, in the foyer there, and they'll be available. Or just uh, give us a call. We'll get you connected. But but here's the thing. God wants to use you. He wants to use you to change the world forever. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that special? He, he doesn't do it through ad campaigns and you know, mass gatherings. He does it through individuals who are willing to be intentional, relational, and personal. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray that you would move in our midst and that um, for those of us that aren't part of a group like this, that you would inspire us to get involved in one so that not only would we grow, um, but that we would then be equipped to go and help others grow as well. We thank you that um, your, your method for, for changing the world forever, forever is, is rather simple. It's something that we can all participate in and, and really help to lead as well. Um, Lord, every time there's a new generation, there's a new need to go and make disciples. And so we pray that you would em- embolden us, that you would encourage us to go and do the same. Lord, just continue to move in this service. Holy Spirit, bring your power and your conviction and your encouragement in Jesus' name, amen.